as mentioned earlier, how marvelous it is that we've been blessed by the God of heaven together today to come together on the first day of the week as we are. We always, of course, lift so high the special nature and character of the first day of the week as we assemble. We do so knowing the purpose is higher than us. We aren't coming merely for our benefit, though we certainly are. We want to glorify God. We want to magnify His kingdom and His cause. And we're going to discuss that in connection to thankfulness this morning. I hope you have your Bible turned to that same verse, that set of verses that Brother Joy read earlier from Psalm 61. And we'll reflect somewhat interestingly upon that for the next few moments this morning. As you probably already well know, this coming Thursday is the fourth Thursday in the month of November. That means, of course, it's a holiday. Every year on our calendar is the so-called Thanksgiving holiday, and every year it falls on the fourth Thursday in the month of November. So it's interestingly, even if there happens to be five Thursdays, Thanksgiving will always be on the fourth one. Well, among other things, you and I can notice in that that, of course, our government and the other features of our land has chosen to place an emphasis upon thanksgiving. It's chosen to highlight something about the character and the thrust of the sentiment of that day. It may well be that it has become somewhat commercialized, and maybe now we tend more to think about football games and turkey dinners, but may we not lose, may we not lose sight of how much the Bible has to say about thankfulness. And I thought today would be an appropriate time to reflect a bit upon Psalm 61. You may notice in Ephesians 5 verse 4 that the Bible, in fact, not only makes a suggestion relative to thankfulness, it makes a command. If you and I are to please God, we must be thankful and we must have an appropriate spirit of appreciating with gratitude what has been provided to us. It is with that hope that we will look then at Psalm 61. What are some things you and I should be thankful for? What are some things that should perhaps bubble to the top of our list such that we can give some appreciation to, oh, the bounty of what God has given to us? I would suggest that Psalm 61 will list several items and we will look at them one by one. Why don't we start then by appreciating the opening two verses of Psalm 61. I will read again the features of the, of the particular chapter, but I'll do it slowly. Verses 1 and 2 read as follows, "'Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer.'" From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The first thing I would suggest that the psalmist at least quickly mentioned was this, the simple fact that God hears prayers. To think about that is perhaps to begin like this. There are those in our creation, there are those in our world who, in the realm of deism, they will agree to the fact that God created it all. But that in their perspective, He is at a distance. He created it, but has nothing to do with the day-to-day -day operation of His universe, the things in the lives of His people. You and I know the Bible doesn't teach any such matter as that. The Bible affirms that not only did God create it, 
but that he on a regular basis wishes to hear from his people. He wants us to pray to him. It's not as if we're bothering him. It's not as if we by some means are interfering with his other activities. He is fully capable not only of all of the ongoing prayers that we may direct His way, but of appropriately answering and responding to each one of them. The psalmist again said, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. I would invite each of us to perhaps appreciate the fact how easy it can be to take for granted the avenue of prayer. You and I rise in the morning, we proceed through the activities of the day, and they may well be many activities. And maybe it's easy to just take prayer for granted. Maybe it's unessential, it's unimportant, maybe even insignificant. In Psalm 116, verse number 2, may I suggest we not take it for granted, but rather that we would appreciate what an amazing privilege and a prerogative it is to be able to approach God in prayer. Simply for this reason, in the attribute and in the avenue of prayer, who is it that we're approaching? Isn't it safe to say that you and I as humans are so feeble in many ways, we cannot handle and address and solve the issues that may well be raised before us. But yet God is abundantly able to do all things. Could I call to your attention the famous words of Job in Job 42.2? In the aftermath of what he faced, after again he appreciated the concourse with God, Job replied by saying, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Do you and I know that? When we pray to God in confidence and in faith, James 1 verses 3 to 5, we should appreciate that He is able to answer that prayer, and in His will He will answer it in His best interest. Surely as we make prayers like that with assurance, may I call each of us to remember Matthew nineteen twenty six, The famous words of Jesus, With God... Nothing is impossible. It may well appear that from a national standpoint, from a state standpoint, from a local standpoint, something may appear impossible. It may appear undoable. And yet with God, Jesus claimed everything's possible. As you and I then appreciate that, may we apply it daily in our life and understand that whatever issue you and I face... Job-related, health-related, family-related, or otherwise, God is able, with solution provided, to make an attack upon that problem and to offer a means whereby things will improve. Things will be better. The psalmist knew it. Notice the second word he used, attend unto my prayer. That word attend means to give attention to. The psalmist understood that there is a God in heaven who can give attention to what is being uttered. I would hope that you and I would understand in prayer, our prayers are going far higher than the ceiling of the room in which we happen to be. Those prayers are pictured in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 as encircling the throne of heaven. 
They rise from being uttered by our thoughts and voices, and they ultimately arrive in the halls of heaven. That's fantastic. It is truly astounding to the mind. And so it is, as we close that slide, let's be aware of this truth. God knows what we need before we even ask Him. Jesus taught that in Matthew 6, 8. He knows the things we need, be it food, be it shelter, be it clothing, but be it any other matter, He knows what we need even before we ask Him. So someone may ask, why then should I ask? The reason the Word of God presents touches upon the benefit that it has for us. It is a constant reminder that we need to rely upon Him. And we understand that He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, James 1.17. For that reason, it's good for us to ask. It keeps us humble enough to know that we are not the ones directing primarily our own destiny. We need His help. We need His aid. We need His guidance. And we need the provision that He makes available. Later in the prayer, we'll notice David has more to say about that. But one more thing in verse number 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. You and I are free then to appreciate the blessing of prayer any place. Have you ever prayed in your car when you're perhaps sitting at a stoplight? Have you ever prayed perhaps in the evening before drifting off to sleep? Have you ever prayed first thing in the morning? Have you prayed before the meals you enjoy? What about any other time, though, in which you feel the importance of and feel the impressive blessing of simply pausing to address the God of heaven in prayer? The psalmist said, From the ends of the earth matters not where one might be. Have you ever offered a prayer on an airplane? I'm sure if you've flown, you have. Because you realize there the sense in which what could happen, but you pray to God for His guidance and His overriding protection of the events taking place surrounding that flight. As you and I close that particular slide, I will ask you to keep in mind the closing statement of verse 2, for it will appear shortly. But for right now, what is something else we can be thankful for? I've entitled it, God as both tower and shelter. Let me read verses 3 and 4. For thou hast been a shelter for me, and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. The God of heaven makes a dramatic invitation to one and all to come to Him. He doesn't distance anyone from Him. He invites everybody. He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 The Bible closes with an invitation. I think that's significant, don't you? It's as though one of the final things the God of heaven wished one and all to appreciate is, Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. You and I can make terribly bad decisions. We can choose to ignore the invitation. 
but He chooses one and all to come. And to those who do, this assurance is given. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Once you and I have chosen to partner ourself and our will with Him, He has promised, I will never be the one to leave you. You might choose to leave me, but I will never be the one that will distance myself from your faithfulness. Perhaps it's in that light. You might notice the statement that appears again in verse 2. It says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Has your heart ever been overwhelmed? Be honest. Has your heart ever been overwhelmed? That phrase carries the sense of beneath a crushing load. To be surrounded by and afflicted by, if you please, that which appears indomitable, that which appears beyond your capacity to handle. The psalmist admitted that he had felt overwhelmed. Have you? Have I? My suspicion is yes. My suspicion is no one would successfully be able to say, I, without any difficulty or problem at all, have been able to handle every matter I've ever faced with confidence, with knowledge, and with conviction. Most of us would readily confess we have felt overwhelmed on occasion. And maybe those occasions have been many. You may notice upon that slide, one other matter seemingly is included in the Hebrew word. In addition to overwhelmed in the sense of a crushing load, almost certain defeat. Have you ever faced something and you knew, of course, that it was a matter of strength and power, but it resisted what you had in mind and it seemed certain that you were going to lose? It seemed certain you would not be the victor in that discussion, in that consideration, and in that moment. Have you felt overwhelmed? David, the psalmist, highlighted the interesting character that in those moments he fled somewhere. Verse number 2 ended with this phrase, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Brother Larry just led us in a song with that title. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We sang three verses about that very thing. I hope you and I can now think back upon the words of that song we just sang. Lead me to the rock higher than I. That rock refers to the powerful presence of the God of heaven and the aid that He's able to offer and the resolution that He's able to bring. You'll notice on that slide I've asked you to appreciate this isn't the first time a sense like this has occurred in the Word of God. In Isaiah 25, 4, God remains a shelter. I find it interesting that the psalmist rather directly said, verse 3, For thou hast been a shelter. It's not that he was only looking into the future. God, I am able to testify what you have done for me. Could you and I make a testimony to that effect? 
We're not asking for a public display of it, but are you and I convicted in mind of what God has done in the years of your life? I have advanced at this point well, below, well beyond two score years and ten. And some of you have more years than that to which you can testify about what God has done. Not what He might do or what He can do, but what He has done. May we never forget it. May we understand the bounty to which we are able to turn in recognition of what He's done. After all, David said, Thou hast been a shelter. That word shelter brings the idea of protection from the forces that are against. David knew about a shelter. Oh, it's true he had been king. But long before that, he'd been a shepherd. And he had been on the front lines guarding sheep day and night. And on many occasions, he had to protect them from enemies, wild animals and otherwise. David knew very well what it was like to say in Psalm 23, the marvelous wonder of what it's like to be a shepherd. The shepherd's psalm. Interestingly enough, in the course of that presentation, we think about the beauty of the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's stop right there. David said, with the Lord is my shepherd, I'll not need to want. Everything necessary and everything important has been and shall be provided. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That's the first three verses of that chapter. What about the next three? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Are you scared of dying? Does it frighten you to think about the character of death and what lies beyond? With one who understands the shelter that God provides, you and I can approach the reality of death with an air of assurance and an air of confidence because Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. That's all we need. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they protect me. The closing verse goes on to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe it is with that in mind, you and I can revisit Psalm 61. And let's close that slide by saying this, Thou hast been a shelter. And then one more thing, a strong tower. In the ancient world, the tower was vital. With regard to a city, of course, it was walled in almost all cases, but there were towers stationed at various intervals on that wall. And in that tower, there, of course, was a stationary point of great protection. And so it is that David says, God, you have been a strong tower. Where do you and I flee for refuge? Do you try to flee to your own knowledge? your own capacity, your own strength, you will invariably fail if we do that. You and I need to flee to the rock that's higher than I, that's higher than we. As you and I close that slide, what else does David say we should be and can be thankful for? 
Let's read even further. Verse number 5, For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. We'll stop at the end of verse 7. God's truth. You may have noticed in the reading of verse 7, the statement is made that it is this truth which is a part of preserving. What preserves you and I? The text says God's mercy and His truth are a part of what does it. Let's develop that point like this. That preserving force means that which sustains, that which maintains, that which makes a continuance possible. I hope you and I every day have an attitude of thankfulness for God's truth because how desperately we need it and how much we ought to rely upon it. Consider how horrible it would be to be without truth. Now, I know there are many in our world who choose to blatantly disregard it. Oh, they have access to it, but it doesn't mean anything to them. They sojourn through this life anchored to nothing sustainable. They are blown about with every wind of whatever claims to be doctrine. And isn't that frightening? They aren't anchored to anything steadfast and sure. They aren't anchored to anything that will stand. They have no knowledge of the rock higher than us. That must be a pitiful way to live. To never rest and rely upon anything certain, stable, and unmovable. And yet in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 we read, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It is with that in mind that slide goes on to say, Truth has a sister that is mentioned in this verse. It's mercy. Would you note again the wording? Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. You and I must never forget that God's right hand and left hand, as they administer truth and mercy, the two go together. If we forsake His truth, we will receive the greatness of His wrath, because His mercy will not be tempered. To receive His mercy, we must be in His truth. You can't have truth. You cannot have the greatness of His mercy without it. Today, may you and I then strive to to be obedient, to understand the blessedness of that fact, as mentioned in verse 7. To close that slide, are you and I thankful for the Bible? It has been the guiding force for all who are wise throughout the ages. It's only the fool that ignores it. It's only the fool who would have the nerve to say there's no God, Psalm 14.1. It's only the fool who would in fact turn a blind eye to the wisdom and instruction that the Bible offers and choose to live apart from it. But yet you and I in wisdom strive to thank God for it. We often, in fact, in our prayers here at the congregation, publicly we will express thanksgiving Don't we often sing a song, Give me the Bible 
Star of gladness gleaming, Psalm 154. When we sing that, we are praising God and thanksgiving for His great gift of the Word of God. As you and I treasure it, let's come to one more thing that we notice that David so quickly mentioned. I've entitled it simply, God's Blessings. I'm sure that this would probably came to our mind almost immediately as the title of this lesson was, was observed. But David mentions it too. The great blessings of God. God has been indeed so very good to us. Each of us can say that. I know that some of us have had more difficult lots than others, but I would ask that at least for the, for the next few moments, if we could at least appreciate some of the sentiment of Psalm 61. Has God poured out His rain upon you? Has He poured out a measure of health upon you? Has He done the same for me? Has He allowed you to have a house to dwell in and food to eat? Each of us could say yes to that. And yet in this particular verse, verse number 6 goes on to say, Thou wilt prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. In Romans eleven twenty six, 26, we are admonished to praise God for the nature of His being and the goodness that He presents. I've asked you to think about just a few quick examples and partly those which we named a moment ago. In John 6, verse 11, Jesus, as He was about to feed 5,000, He offered prayer, thanking for that food. What about the food you and I eat? This Thursday, we may enjoy a bountiful feast. It may occur Wednesday, it may occur Saturday or Friday, but most individuals are able to enjoy a Thanksgiving meal, and it may well be extensive. But I hope that not only that day, but every day we can be mindful. Our food is from God. This earth, He owns it. Not only that, what about the earth itself? Isaiah 66, 1 says it belongs to Him. Some soil somewhere raised what you and I enjoy eating. May we thank God for that food. Not only that, what about the means of our life? You may wonder what's meant by that. May I suggest this? Every skill, every talent, every capability that you and I enjoy. Look at some of these verses in Acts 17, 25. For in Him, that's God, we live and move and have our very being. That leaves out nothing. Every facet and every aspect of life, it's due to Him. May we thank God for those capacities that we enjoy. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul was able to say, By the grace of God, I am what I am. That certainly would be a sentiment that you and I could readily express as well. Beyond the means of life, what about your health? There isn't a one of us today that's in the nursing home. There isn't a one of us today bedridden at the house. There isn't any of us that are in the intensive care unit in Cookfall. We can be thankful that we at least do have the measure of health that we enjoy. It could be much more dire, could it not? 
as far as health, there's an interesting statement in 1 Kings 5, or rather verses chapter 3, verses 5 and following. God had allowed Solomon to ask anything he wanted, and he did not ask for long health. He asked for wisdom. And something interesting is stated later on. God said, I'm not going to give you, or rather I will give you what you did not ask for. And that included long life. If you and I enjoy many years, may we not forget God gave it to us. In fact, even shorter number of years. May we appreciate every aspect of time, as you and I would call it, belongs to Him. Let's close that slide then by saying this. David mentions another thing that we haven't emphasized. Perhaps we should. Let me read again verse 5. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Do you enjoy a godly family? Are your parents faithful Christians? Are your grandparents known for their conviction and belief in God? If your family is known for things that are upstanding and faithful like this, thank God for those people. They have attempted to shape and mold you in a way to where you can enjoy a heritage of those that fear the greatest of all names. Have you ever thought about what situation you might be in if your parents had been unbelievers? If your family hadn't been known for upstanding matters concerning the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's something to think about, isn't it? Where would you and I be today? Now, there are countless billions of people upon this planet, and many of them haven't had the heritage that you and I enjoy. And may I say, may we lift it to ourselves as the challenge and charge to carry that sentiment to the next generation so that they can say that, that they will enjoy the thought of a heritage of those that fear the name of God. David would otherwise say in Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, that the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Have the lines of your life fallen in pleasant places? I hope we're quick to thank God if that be so. One last thing, and the lesson is yours. Because in brevity, we can say what's the meaning or at least one application of all of this, and it comes in the closing verse. If God has been so good to you and so good to me, what should be our reaction? Verse 8 says it like this. So, notice that's an adverb that indicates a consequence of what has come before. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. If God has been so good to us, it behooves us to give ourselves in service to Him forever. Not just every now and then, not just occasionally, but to do so with an attribute and an understanding of that He has been so good to us and He has been so good to me personally. In concluding this lesson, what about that rock that's higher than you and I? Have you flown to that rock? Have you then sought refuge and shelter in it, in Him? As that slide closes... It begs a question of response, and we'll do so in the words of this conclusion. That rock that's higher than you and me, if you haven't flown to it for refuge, for safety, it's time to do that. 
Today is the closing Sunday to the month of November. It could be the finest of all days for you to turn your life over to Jesus, the Son of God. After all, He has watched out for you and He shed His blood for you at the cross. He had you in mind when He shed His blood. He had me in mind. Have you ever thought about, among the other things that might be imagined on that placard that was nailed to the cross, this is for Randy Bybee. He's going to live about 2,000 years from now, and he's going to be a woeful sinner, and he'll go to hell if I don't do this. Without my shed blood, he will have no hope of salvation. Put your name in that position. He's been good to all of us. If you've never, in fact, responded in goodness to him, what are you waiting for? There'll never be a better day than this one. Jesus died that you might live. You need to believe upon Him, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And today, you could be ushered into the kingdom if you have known the joy of that life. But for whatever reason, you've chosen to walk away from it. You aren't faithful and you know it. Others know it. Then may I again ask, why not flee to the rock higher than you? You can't get yourself to heaven. And if you continue on this life, you're going to be doomed, and it'll all be your fault because you knew better and chose to abandon it. Today, if we could help you by assisting in prayer on your behalf of rededication, if you'll confess those sins and repent of them, He'll forgive you. If we could be of help to you today, won't you come while together we stand while we sing?